All Mouth and No Trousers, the organisation and founding of the League of Nations. The core question that you have to be able to answer about the League of Nations is whether it was doomed from the start. Was the League of Nations never ever going to work or was it merely overtaken by events? And where you start with that is by looking at how the League was founded, the actual structure, organisation and membership of the League from day one. Was it set up in such a way that it would work? So in this podcast we're going to have a look at the membership and the organisation of the League at its founding. This is one of those areas where it is important to have detailed notes because you have to be very secure in the specific names of the various parts of the League and their functions. You need to know what each one does and you need to be able to say the strengths and weaknesses of each part of the whole. So, let's begin at the beginning. The membership of the League of Nations at the very beginning was assumed to be the victorious powers of the League. The idea being that they would join together to stop another war from happening. But because of internal politics, America did not sign the treaty and it didn't join the League. And that immediately weakens the League out of the gate because America is the dominant power in the Pacific Hemisphere. So over on that side of the globe, America is the linchpin and they are no longer involved. There was also the fact that the defeated powers like Germany and Austria and Hungary and Turkey were not allowed to join. That made it a League of Victors, not a League of Nations. And that weakens its moral authority. It's very difficult for you to say we are acting on behalf of all nations when actually you're simply acting on behalf of those nations that won. Also, remember, Russia in this period has just undergone its revolution and has become the USSR from 1923. Russia is very frightening to the Western liberal democracies because they are a communist country and they wish to spread communism around the world. Therefore, they are regarded with deep suspicion and loathing and they are therefore not invited to join the League either. So, at the very beginning... The membership of the League weakens it. It reduces its authority. It reduces its ability to act in various places. It's a perception problem and a practical problem. I would thoroughly recommend that you memorize the dates for when the various countries joined and left the League of Nations. That is very important information, and it will also tie in with things like the Abyssinian and the Manchurian crisis later on. The League was founded based on a covenant, 26 articles, basically the agreement that founds the League. They include several points, but one of the problems with it is based around an old military saying, and it goes like this. The worst thing any army can do is try and fight the last war over again. Instead of dealing with the enemy that is in front of you, you try and fight the battle that you lost last time. And the problem with the Covenant of the League of Nations is that it is not designed necessarily to stop war, 
it is designed to stop a war like the First World War from happening again. So the Covenant includes things like the compulsory registration of all treaties. This means that there won't be any secret alliances, which won't lead to that toppling avalanche effect that you had in Europe in the summer of 1914. The idea is that there will also be a reduction and control of arms, a limitation on the military of the various member states. The idea here that it will stop the military arms race and the naval arms race that helped contribute to international tension in the run-up to the First World War. And also a method of solving arguments that arise between countries that will stop them from going to war. So basically... The problems that arose between Austria and Serbia can be dealt with by the League of Nations so it never gets to the point of war and never brings in any of the other countries. The mechanism for this is one called collective security. And the idea here is that an attack on one is an attack on all. So under the terms of collective security, any country which attacks a member of the League of Nations will in turn be attacked by the rest of the League of Nations. This is the basic concept behind it. It is fine, in theory, but as always, the devil is in the detail. So let's dig down and think about how the Covenant actually creates an organisation in practice. The first and main part of the League is the Assembly. Every member nation is represented in the Assembly. And that meets once a year, and it discusses general topics such as uh, any treaties that need to be looked at again, uh, any new members that need to join, any of the general strategic business of the League. The problem is this. All of the decisions have to be unanimous. Now, you picture your history class and try and imagine getting every single person in that class to agree to a topping on a pizza to order. It simply wouldn't happen. Now imagine trying to get 40, 50 countries to agree unanimously to something. The conversations are torturous. Everything takes a very long time. The assembly is inefficient. However, the Assembly is not the main decision-making engine of the League. That responsibility falls to the Council. And the Council is formed of two constituent parts. The five permanent members in the original plan, because it actually becomes four. The reason it becomes four permanent members is because America doesn't join. So the four permanent members of the League of Nations Council are Britain, France, Italy and Japan all, remember, victorious powers in the First World War, except Japan. They are joined by four non-permanent members who are elected for a three-year period by the Assembly. The idea being there that other countries will rotate through. The Council's main duty is to try and solve any of those problems that arise between states. Again, think back to the issues between Austria and Russia, or the Moroccan crises, or the Bosnian crisis. Any country which is supposed to have started a war of aggression would be targeted by the rest of the League. Again, the concept of collective security. Now, as we've discussed before, the League has three levels of sanctions. Moral condemnation, 
don't do that again, you're a very naughty boy. And we've already discussed how the membership of the League weakens its moral authority at the beginning. And you also have to think about how effective simply telling somebody off is. The second one is economic sanctions. All countries in the League would stop trading with the aggressor. Again, the problem you've got there is the biggest economic powerhouse in the world who trades with most of the countries in the Western Hemisphere, America, is not a member and therefore will not be required to abide by any economic sanctions passed by the League. There's also the fact that trade is the lifeblood of the British Empire. Are they really going to sacrifice their place in the world, their preeminent position in global trade to help out some country in the middle of nowhere. And finally, the last possible option is military action. All countries in the League would contribute to an armed force which would act against the aggressive country. Notice the League does not have a standing army. It can ask for the members to contribute troops, but there is no requirement upon the members to do so. There is also a simple matter of geography. The League is supposed to be a global power. Therefore, you're talking about having to get troops from lots of different areas to the trouble spot, wherever it is. Logistically, that's a problem. Also, who's going to be in charge of it? Which country's generals are going to lead this combined force? There's a huge number of issues raised by this particular idea of military action which aren't addressed in the Covenant and they've not been thought through. But at its basis, that idea of the Council and the actions it can take is the basic engine of how problems between countries are now supposed to be solved without recourse to violence. They come to the council, the council can broker a settlement. If a settlement cannot be reached, then they can move on to sanctions. The final part, and the one that's quite easy to forget, is the permanent court of justice. The idea here is that 15 judges chosen from the nations of the League are set up in neutral territory, the Hague in the Netherlands, and it will deal with disputes over matters of international legal systems. So, for example, treaties, alliances, trade agreements. So to basically ensure that countries are abiding by the agreements they make with each other. It is creating a court which can arbitrate what international law there is and by doing so create an actual system of international law. In theory this is a good plan but the problem is it has no power. All it can do is say what it thinks. The permanent court has no way of enforcing its decisions. It is entirely down to goodwill that the people will abide by the decision that it makes. So you can see, almost immediately, from the very beginning, there are some significant weaknesses in the League. The exclusion of the defeated powers, the fact that the USA is not there, weakens the moral authority, weakens the geographical reach, and weakens the ability to enforce those sanctions. The Secretariat, which is the actual bureaucracy of the League, 
is supposed to look after all the day-to-day -day business, but the rest of the machinery has major problems. Each of the members of the council, the permanent and the temporary ones, have a veto. The idea of a veto is that any decision can be blocked if one member of the council doesn't agree with it. So if there is not unanimity, absolute agreement in the council, it can't happen. The same happens with the assembly. It's got to be unanimous. Therefore, you have to look at it and think of that idea of your history class trying to order a pizza together and trying to agree on the one topping. If any one person says, not happening, then you don't get a pizza. And in that circumstance, I can promise you, nobody gets a pizza. Now, this is not to say that the League is a catastrophic failure at the very beginning. There are several small disputes in the 1920s. Small disputes between small states, which are brought to the League and are dealt with quite effectively and quite efficiently. But they're not the big tests of the League. The big tests for the League come in the 1930s. And for those, you need to listen to the podcasts on the Abyssinian Crisis and the Manchurian Crisis. So the key things I want you to take away about the organisation and founding of the League. You need to take away the membership and the effect that that has on the ability of the League to do its job from the very beginning. You have to think about the Covenant and what it's actually designed to do and how effective it is. And you have to talk about the machinery of the League. The Assembly, the requirement for unanimity, the Council, the use of veto, and the fact that the sanctions rely a great deal on the goodwill of members. And also to think about the powerlessness of the Permanent Court of Justice. Thank you very much for listening, and good luck with your exams.